And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm Pete Sampson, and welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. As always, joined by my co-host, Matt Fortuna in Chicago. And today, uh, with the NFL draft approaching it, it really sneaks up on you. There's just not enough coverage of it. Um, we have Dane Brugler, our draft guru from The Athletic, who God knows how many words you've written about this um, in the last three or four months. I, what, what, what would you estimate, Dane, the, the amount, the word count of your pre-draft, beast included, uh, work for us. Uh, the, the the draft guide alone was three hundred twenty thousand. Um, so I don't I don't even know. Uh, it's funny because yeah, our marketing people um, asked me like, okay, well, how many uh, you know how many pro- how many players, how many reports, that kind of thing, and then like, well, how many hours do you think you've watched on tape? I'm like, I I, I have I have no idea how to possibly uh, equate that or. You know, it's just because it's a it's a year round process for me where, um, you know, it's going to start as soon as this draft's over, it'll start preparing for next year. And uh, it's constant from from now until uh, next April. So it's a it's a process, uh, definitely a process. It reminds me of National Signing Day where we're interviewing coaches in February and they're already talking about the offers they're giving out for the, the class of 2023 and 2024 um, that yeah. day and the, the day later. Dane, how much. um I wouldn't say easier, maybe refreshing was this year for you in terms of the world was somewhat back to normal. You were able to get out on the road. Information was probably easier to obtain and acquire when talking about these prospects. That had to be incredibly difficult the two years prior to this. What was this year like? Uh, Yes and no. I I think this year, definitely, there was more sense of normalcy with uh, a full season. And then, uh, you know, we we had a combine. Uh, We had pro days. Uh, you know, all the, the, the all-star games were, were more normal. Um, the one hurdle that still remains from COVID is just uh, understanding exactly who's in this draft class and who's not. Uh, that's because this is because of that extra year of eligibility. A lot of players are taking that, but they don't, you know, it's hard to keep track of that. Uh, that to me like it was really important to me that like in the draft guide, there's 1700 players in the draft guide. It was really, really important to me that there would not be one single player in there that's going back to school or maybe entered the transfer portal or maybe, you know, and just because they're not listed on the roster anymore, doesn't mean he's necessarily in this draft class. So understand keeping track of all the players and making sure that everybody that's in this draft class, who's you know hired an agent, who's eligible to be drafted, they're in the draft guide. There's someone we're talking about. Meanwhile, the guys that are deciding to take advantage of that fifth or sixth year, go back to school, transfer schools that, you know, we're not spending our time on them just yet waiting for next year. So that has been, that was the biggest hurdle this year, just from the COVID related issues. But it was there's no question to your point. It was it was great to have a sense of normalcy in the scouting process, getting 
the combine back was huge, uh, and, and then all the workouts. So that was definitely, definitely helpful. A player that we knew was going to be in this draft class from his first practice um, was Kyle Hamilton. And there's been a, I, quite a bit of variance, I think, in terms of where he's been projected through the last four months, right? I mean, you've seen some mock drafts have been number two to Detroit. Uh, you have now, I think it's probably it's, it's either Atlanta at seven or Washington at 11 pop up a lot. Um, where where do you think ultimately he goes and like, how would you sort of sum up the perception of him and how it's changed over the last three months? Cause I, I do think there was like this, like, Ooh, Kyle Hamilton is this really an interesting uh, prospect. Cause there aren't a lot of safeties built like him. And then that turned into, Oh, Kyle Hamilton, like his 40 time actually isn't that great. Yeah, it's kind of silly. Uh, if, uh, the the four five nine at the combine, um, I, I think you know is is a solid time for him. And then what hurt was just the pro day running in the low four sevens. Um, you know the quote unquote official time from his pro day was four seven zero. But I don't have you talked to anybody, uh, fan, scout, coach, anybody that has watched Kyle Hamilton play, and their takeaway was this guy's slow or this guy's not fast <laughs> enough. Like, come on. Like uh, that, that's not a takeaway that y- you have after watching Kyle Hamilton play football. And, and I think a big part of that is how smart he is, how bright he is. So even though he might not run a four, three, he's already on a second step by the time the play is happening. So he, that head start because of the way he processes because of that mental ability, it's like he runs a four, three, a four, four, because he's so quick to react because he understands what the offense wants to do, he can anticipate that and get that head start where some safeties are more uh, read-react, where they're they're too reactionary. It had, the play has to unfold before they're moving. And so uh, they might run a 4-3, but uh, Kyle Hamilton's going to get to the play quicker and faster because he understands uh, what's going on. So that I think that's a big part of the conversation with Kyle Hamilton. Where he ends up on draft weekend is going to be interesting because he's – the best way to say it is, you know, all 32 teams like him. I mean, what's not to like with a guy that's 6'4", 220, uh, is a versatile athlete, can do all these different things. He's uh, character-wise off the charts. Uh, you know, he can he finds the football, makes plays on the football, led led the uh, Irish in interceptions two of the last three years, uh, including this past year when he missed uh, basically the second half of the season. So, I, I mean, I, I think there's – everyone's going to like him. But not every team's going to be on board with drafting a unique 6'4", 220-pound safety in the top 10. And I think that's where the hang-up is, is just uh, a lot of teams picking a top 10, they're going to view safety as more of a luxury than, uh, or, you know, like a finishing piece as, as opposed to a foundational piece. And that's where, I, where, you know, there's a good chance we could see Kyle Hamilton fall out of the top 10. And I don't think it, that would be a surprise. I, I would say it's about 50-50. Um, I think that the sweet spot for Kyle Hamilton might be 11, 12, 13. We have Washington, uh, Minnesota, Houston. Uh, those three picks right there, I'd probably a better chance of him landing there uh, than the top 10. So maybe even better than 50-50 that he goes uh, outside the top 10. Um, and, and But I, I find it hard that he's to believe he's going to get past one of those three picks. Ron Rivera... It'd be awfully tough for him to pass at 11. Um, you know, the Vikings, we know, uh, with the way they, they have built through the secondary, the first-year general manager, first-year uh, head coach, you just never know. And then Houston, uh, passing on him twice, 
that'd be hard to see, uh, especially with Lovey Smith having uh, so much say in what they do on draft weekend. So the Kyle Hamilton conversation is is fascinating, um, and, and it's going to be fun to see uh, how it plays out Thursday night. For those wondering, Kyle Hamilton's over under on BetMGM right now is nine and a half. So yeah, inside yeah. or outside the top ten essentially is is what we're looking yeah. at. Yeah, well, and I it used to be back in February a six and a half, and I was hitting the over on that constantly and telling people like I don't I don't think he goes. I, my projection at that point was you know maybe Atlanta at eight. You know, Atlanta was a team that last year took uh, you know the top offensive player where you're not quite sure where he's going to play. Talking about Kyle Pitts. Uh, but you just know he's awesome and you're, you want him on your football team. Same thing with Kyle Hamilton. Is he going to be that uh, you know split safety? Is he going to be more of a box player for you? You're just not quite sure. Is he going to line up a, and play man-to-man against tight ends? Regardless, you just want him on your football team because uh, of what he brings to your defense. So, uh, But I, I think that, yeah, nine and a half, that's, that's a good number. Yeah, no doubt. For a guy like Kyle Hamilton, Dane, I mean, everyone knew who he was, you know, Early in his high school career, five-star prospect, public you know commitment to Notre Dame. How early are you really diving into this guy, knowing that barring something disastrous, this guy is going to be three and out in a, in a first-round pick? Yeah, you can't help um, uh, but notice a guy like that when you're studying uh, you know players uh, in uh, a, a draft class. But then you know, I try not to focus too much on underclassmen just because my brain can only take so much uh but you can't help but notice a guy like cal hamilton uh with the talent that he has uh it's no different than watching uh you know that, that's one of the biggest challenges of watching ohio state or georgia or alabama uh notre dame's in there as well because they get some of these guys that are they're young and they see the field early uh and uh it, it's easy for your eye to be drawn to to what they're doing so yeah absolutely kyle hamilton was on the radar from his freshman season uh you started to not only just seeing him on film, but you start to hear about him, the buzz that starts to build. Um, and, you know, there, it, it happens constantly. It happened, you know, last year when, when Willie Anderson was a freshman at Alabama. Uh, you know, this past year watching Georgia's defense uh, with a guy like Jalen Carter on their defensive line um, or a couple of guys in the secondary, uh, especially with Ohio State with uh, when you're trying to study Olave and Garrett Wilson, but you know C.J. Stroud uh, is, as a redshirt freshman is uh, arguably one of the best quarterbacks, uh, or arguably the best quarterback in the country. Uh, how he played last year, so happen it's, it's it's something that happens every year with a, especially with a lot of schools and and definitely with Notre Dame. Kevin Austin is a sort of junior is a fascinating case study for me because I I think that Notre Dame viewed him if he had come back for his fifth year, he could have been. Day two, maybe end of day. Like he, he has a lot of like measurable stuff, which I think we saw at the combine. Just but doesn't have a lot of good tape. Um, what what do, was sort of the word on him as you talk to people um, around the draft process? How they saw him, you know, positively and negatively. Uh, a lot of the same feedback. Where it's um, you know. It, he, he's a butt player, uh, put it that way, you know, where you, you, he's a really bright player, right? Really bright kid, but this, or, you know, he's, he's, he's a really well-built athlete. Uh, you know, he's going to run really well, but that, you know, and, and so I think that matches up with kind of what you're saying. If, uh, he, you know, cause he had what, six catches to his name entering this season. He just right. wasn't, wasn't on the field a ton. Um, part of that was uh, most of that, I would say, is to you know his own doing in terms of uh, some of the things in the, his past with 
uh, some off-field decision-making and uh, just not developing at the pace the coaches wanted him to. Uh, but when he was able to get on the field this this year, uh, he, he was productive. Uh, I, I think a couple of the things that really stand out with him – uh, over 81% of his catches resulted in a first down or touchdown. Uh, that that's something that uh, you know you love to see from a guy that uh, it can move the chains. Uh, it can average over 18 yards per catch. You love to see that. Um, you know that you can see the inconsistencies uh, in terms of at the catch point, in terms of his routes. Uh, where I, is that experience based? Is that uh, it's something that he, you know, he's going to get better. Uh, and I think that's the biggest thing for teams is figuring out how coachable is this guy? You know, once we get him into our camp, it's easy to say, oh, you know, once he gets NFL coaching and, and this and that, but uh, not every, not every player is coachable. Uh, they, they think they, uh, you know, are in good shape and they're not open to what, uh, coaching can unlock for them. Because a guy like Kevin Austin has all the talent, uh, six, two and a half, 200 pounds, uh, you know, the four four three at the combine was ridiculous. Uh, the uh, to run a, a six seven three cone at that size is, is outstanding. Uh, but yeah, you're like you said, it just doesn't have a ton of great tape, uh, especially uh, just being a, a one year guy. And, and so, is that enough? That and then you know some of the background stuff, some of the off field stuff, just making sure teams are comfortable with that. So he's a wild card. Could see him. I think in my mock draft, my seven round mock, I had him going fourth round to the Steelers. Uh, you know, a, a team that has a good track record of drafting uh, wide receivers in the third, fourth, fifth round. Uh, and, and maybe Kevin Austin could be uh, another one, another example uh, like that, because the talent is certainly there. Dane, Jack Cohn's a guy I think's almost kind of been not forgotten, but overlooked around Notre Dame's parts. He comes after a three-year starter, Ian Book. Everyone's focused on the quarterback battle this spring, but you know, I don't want to give anything away. You guys should all uh, subscribe and, and download the beast if you haven't already, but you have him getting drafted. You have him as a top 10 quarterback. What's the overall take and feedback you've gotten on, on what kind of pro Jack Cohn will be? My favorite thing when watching Jack Cohn is his ability to find rhythm in the passing game. Uh, you know, he could be moved from a spot. His, uh, you know, the blitz could, uh, you know, the pressure you could tell maybe gets to at times. Uh, the defense shows him something a little bit different. But more times than not, he's able to reset himself really quickly and find that rhythm in in the passing game. So is he the the best uh, in in terms of uh, his athleticism, in terms of moving the pocket, in terms of picking up yards with his legs? Uh, No, there are better athletes out there, but he's not uh, immobile. I mean, he's not a guy that's uh, going – he's not a statue back there. I think uh, that's a – a picture that's been painted of, of Jack Cohn that's not entirely true. Uh, this is a, he was a big time lacrosse player in high school. Uh, he's a big guy, but he's not a uh, he's not a statue back there. He can move a little bit, and that's something that I think is is to his credit. Uh, when the, when the walls close in, he is not really going to panic out there. He's going to uh, be able to uh, make something happen, even if it's not you know Malik Willis. So uh, I, he's a really tough kid, a resilient player, uh, and, and he takes care of the football. Uh, you know, he doesn't. Not a lot of turnovers on his tape, and so uh, you, you like the the touchdown interception ratio. Uh, you like the the accuracy. He puts the ball. You know, placement's important to him. Putting it on the right shoulder, giving his guys uh, to have those opportunities to have catch and run um, uh, opportunities. So uh, he just he's got a smooth delivery. The ball gets out quickly. Uh, very reliable playing temperament. Where you know he could 
have a bad stretch where he's, you know, a bad pass, uh, you know, a, a, a misread, but he's going to come back and, it, you know, it's like he it never happened. He doesn't let, allow those mistakes to linger. So with Jack Cohn, there's a lot of these things that NFL teams are looking for. Uh, just, you know, the, having that pro attitude. Um, and, and so I do think Jack Cohn's going to get drafted somewhere on day three. Uh, and you know, he could be a, he could be a long time backup in this league. I don't know. He's never going to be, in my opinion, never going to be a starter, but if he's a backup, uh, for the next, uh, eight years, I, I don't think that'd be surprising. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You know, it's interesting because I think probably our listeners are hearing your assessment of Jack Cohen and be like, not a statue back there. Like, yeah. um, But I think so much of that had came down to like he was playing behind a very uh, – Civ-like offensive line for the first half of the season. How much do, you, do scouts, analysts factor that part into it? Because, I mean, he took a lot of sacks. He was under duress a lot. You know, didn't necessarily handle it very well, but, like, it was in his face all the time. Right. Um, how much is, does that sort of factor into an assessment of him, whereas, like, uh, you know, Bryce Young is playing behind the, you know, an elite offensive line you know Cade McNamara is playing behind the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line like does that does that factor into how people scout uh quarterbacks because we just talk about receivers we don't talk about their protections oh 100 percent. I mean I, I think that um that's why a lot of people don't think, you know, win-loss record is a, is a quarterback stat because it, it, so much is dependent. Uh, quarterback is a dependent position. It's not an independent position. Uh, so much depends on what your receivers are doing. So much depends on, uh, you know, what the what, what your blocking uh, scheme is doing and your offensive linemen. And so uh, that that's why the tape is so important. It factors in. Uh, you know, who you're playing, uh, that the competition level, the defensive line you're going up against, uh, you know, what's uh, understanding what the coverage is doing. So where are your eyes? Are they on time? And uh, all the while you're negotiating the pass rush. So uh, now is Jack Cohen a play extender? No, he, he's not. That's that's not necessarily his strength. But I do think that he doesn't receive enough credit for the subtle movements in the pocket. Um, you know, because like you said, he, he was under duress quite a bit. And so even if it's, you know, buying those extra fractions of a second with a, a simple step up, a simple climb, a simple uh, shuffle to his right, those things, uh, you know, could be the difference between a, a negative play and a positive play. So I, I think that's where Jack Cohn, uh, that's where scouts really appreciate what he can do, the, those subtle movements, negotiating the pass rush. Um, but like, like I said, quarterback is a very dependent position on everything else going on ar around you. And 
it can sometimes cause you to make excuses for a quarterback, but I think that's where uh, it's really important to separate reasons from excuses. Understanding, okay, is this guy, um, you know, is he uh, like Malik Willis? He takes a lot of sacks. A lot of that is because of his offensive line. Some of that is because he will just run around behind the line of scrimmage and wait till something comes open and he will take a lot of sacks. And so it's the, the blame is split there. With some other quarterbacks, the blame belongs on him. Some of the quarterback, some of the sacks belong to the quarterback. So I think understanding, uh, you know, what what type of sack it is, what type of pressure it is, uh, that that's essential to understanding the strengths of the quarterback. Do you have a position you would say you specialize in, or that you enjoy scouting more than others? Um, I, I really do enjoy wide receiver and corner. I, I think it's it's almost like a dance, uh, you know, when. Because every step matters. A corner takes a, a misstep, wide receiver can burn him. Uh, you know, the wide receiver, if he uh, you know gets his feet tangled up at the top of his route, the corner is going to just smother uh, smother that route. So I, I really do enjoy the art of wide receiver and, and corner. I, I, I think it's it, it's something that is it, it is like art. It's something that is a lot of fun to watch and study. Um, and uh, and I, I would say. Same thing. A lot of these positions kind of mirror themselves, like running back and linebacker, or tackle and pass rusher. And so uh, that that you know, it's it's really fun to watch those matchups, but especially on the outside uh, with receivers and corners. Kind of spitting it ahead a little bit there. I mean, there are two guys that I think have first round potential for Notre Dame a year from now. One of them chose to return to Notre Dame. Uh, one of them had to because he's only a sophomore. In uh, Isaiah Foskey and Michael Mayer. Um, first Fosky, like I'm guessing you didn't get too far into him because his decision to come back was, was early, but I think we all sort of view these decisions of like, was it a good idea to come back or not? Where could he have gone? Um, and I sort of viewed him as he could have come out and been a, a second round pick. You come back, you round out your game. Maybe you're a mid first. Is that, I mean, is that sort of a fair way to view his skill set, his measurables? Yeah, I, I think so. In my my top fifty last fall, I had I had him Foskey ranked as I mean somewhere in the forties maybe or you know it's kind of that early second round range, early to mid second round range. Um, you know, kind of the way he was used last year was really interesting as you know playing a linebacker position or playing more of a defensive. They kind of moved him around, and I don't know that he ever really got a hundred percent settled um, and just you know. That, you know, he could just let loose. You know, he was thinking a little bit too much. Um, but th- there's a lot to like about him. I mean, just off the top of my head from from watching him last year, the length was a big part of what he did. He, he was really good at, you know, that stab move so he could attack the chest of blockers uh, and really soften the edge uh, with that bend that he plays with, that that length. Uh, he converts speed to power, give you that power rush. Um, and, you know, they were just, they were really, you know, trying to be creative with how they used him. Uh, hand on the ground or a lot of stunts, a lot of loops uh, because he has that athleticism. He has that range. He could chase down plays. Uh, but I really appreciated his ability to get his hands involved, uh, to shed blocks and uh, get past that first wave. So uh, I'm excited for, for Foskey and what he could be uh, moving forward. Uh, you know, the tight end, and then that's an example of kind of, you know, we talked about it with Kyle Hamilton where you just can't help but uh, see the flashes and be like, oh, who's this guy? And, you know, you, you check him out and, oh, he's not eligible yet, but, you know, you're making mental notes. You're writing his name down and saying, okay, 
uh, there's there's something big here, uh, and you're you know you, I'm excited this summer when I have a chance to really dive into the tape and see. Okay, is this guy for real? Is he a uh, you know an early first round type of guy? Is he a late first round type of guy? Is he more like uh, you know Cole Komet, where we're talking about him in the second round? I mean, where is he going to end up? And so I'm, I'm excited this summer to really dive into that tape. When you look at teams and players year over year, I mean, it, it feels like a lot longer ago because the guy's the head coach now. But, you know, last year, as you're talking about Isaiah, Isaiah Fosking, what they're doing with him, new defense coordinator, Marcus Freeman, who now is the head coach. How much of that is factoring into what you're watching, your evaluation? How much did you see some of these guys, whether it's Kyle Hamilton or Myron Tagovailoa-Mosa, change what they do from 2020 to 2021? Yeah, no question. I mean, the coaching uh, carousel, uh, how much things change is, is something that you pay attention to uh, just with scheme and, uh, you know, what they bring. You know, uh, we see it every every uh, every school. There's there, there's so much coaching change. You know, like Auburn, uh, for example, you know, they were uh, under under uh, Kevin Steele. They were a man heavy uh, coverage team and then you know, bring in uh, Coach Mason uh, and you see a little more zone mixed in there. So a guy like Roger McCreary, the corner that you're, you're scouting, you know, man heavy wonder, can he play zone? OK, well, all of a sudden now with a new defensive coordinator, you're getting a better sense for can he play zone or not? You know, with Notre Dame and, and Coach Freeman uh, bring in kind of a new look in that defensive front. With uh, you know that and that's a good one with uh, Taglo Taglo Voa Mosa being more of I, I feel like he was mostly a, a, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong but mostly an interior guy uh, correct his yep. first few years yeah but then moving to the outside uh, you know being seeing a lot of snaps uh, as more of an end it, it's you know helps you figure out okay is this guy a tweener is he does he have true versatility that inside out versatility that a lot of teams are looking for. Um, it, it, the weight that he dropped, was that forced? Was it natural? Is, is it easier for him to carry more weight? So, uh, it, it's, it, from an evaluation standpoint, I find it very helpful because, you know, instead of having to project, can a guy like Isaiah Foskey stand up and play on his feet and play with some space? You can look towards the tape and say, oh yes, he can do that. And it's not, a, it's not guesswork. It's not projection. Um, and, and so, uh, I, I, I do really appreciate with, uh, with coach Freeman brought to that defense, uh, this past year in terms uh, of evaluating these guys and doing different things, being creative, understanding. Okay. Uh, Cause I think that, you know, the coaching staff was trying to figure out their exact strengths as well. Uh, just, you know, what do these guys do the best? What, what cause the, the coaching, the best coaches understand we're going to put our guys, we're going to, what they do best. We're going to put them in situations that they're going to succeed. And I, I think coach Freeman falls in that category. Uh, he just wants to figure out, okay, what are the best situations we could put these guys uh, understanding their strengths, understanding their weaknesses, and then just let putting them in a, in a situation where they're going to succeed, just let them loose and, and go play football. Aside from Kyle Hamilton, uh, which in our space of the world will be a heavy discussion topic on April 28th, like what do you, what do you think the national story after the first round is going to be? Like what's – if there was a surprise or just sort of like a theme that emerges on that night, what do you think it is? Uh, there definitely be a few. Uh, I think the quarterbacks, obviously, that's that's what you know commands mm-hmm. the headlines. Um, you, you talk to people around the league; they all say the same thing. Uh, these guys are going to go, but where does that quarterback run start? How early? Um, and then what's the order these guys come off the board? From Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, uh, Desmond Ritter, 
Um, and then how many quarterbacks go first round? Who falls to the second? Uh, Sam Howell, Matt Corral. Do these guys fall to the second round? Are we still talking about them uh, being available on Friday night after Thursday? I mean, that's the quarterbacks are going to command the headlines, no doubt. Even though this is a unimpressive quarterback class, it's still going to be where a lot of the talking points start and end. Um, I think there's going to be a few uh, players that we're going to be interested to see if they go in the first round. A guy like Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, who's just a uh, an awesome player. But when you have sub 32 inch arms, a lot of teams are not going to look at you in the first round. And so a guy like Tyler Linderbaum, we could be talking about him as still being available going into Friday night. Um, how many wide receivers go in the first round? Uh, that's you know we, we've seen around the NFL, a lot of these guys are getting these huge contracts. Uh, wide receiver is now the uh, the most expensive position outside of quarterback in the NFL. And so a lot of teams are going to look towards the draft and say, hey, we can get younger, we can get cheaper, and we can get a lot of talent uh, in this in this draft. I think it's a very, it's a somewhat of a top-heavy wide receiver class this year. We're going to see six receivers go first round, maybe seven, maybe as many as eight. It's possible. Um, and then second round, third round, uh, plenty of receivers off the board. I think it'll drop off a little bit on day three. But uh, how many wide receivers go first round? What what the, what's the order there? That's definitely going to be something we watch. Um, and and then you know the number one pick, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, definitely the odds on favorite. Um, but you know Travon Walker from Georgia, who I, he's 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 been one of my favorite players since the fall, since I first got a chance to watch him last year at Georgia. Um, the, the traits are just. They're they're off the charts. Uh, 35 and a half inch arms, uh, four five speed for a guy that's six five two seventy, um, uh, six eight nine in the three cone. Just has all the traits that you want. But you know, I just got done talking about how you know projecting defensive lineman with Trevon Walker, a little bit of a projection based off of what he was asked to do in that Georgia defense. So could he be the the upset pick at number one? It, it, it's certainly possible. So. Uh, it, there's so much intrigue uh, in this draft because the draft boards from team to team are so different uh, every year, but especially this year because we're missing those blue chippers at the top. If Aiden Hutchinson was in last year's draft, he might not go top 10. Uh, it, it's just it's just kind of a, a crazy year where we don't have uh, the guys at the top of the draft that, you know, the Kyle Pitts, the Jamar Chases, uh, some of these other guys that we say, you know, especially the quarterbacks, where they're locked top 10 guys. Uh, we just don't have a lot of those players this year. And because of that, we're seeing a lot of differing opinions uh, throughout the league, uh, even as, as early as the top 10. The one guy we, we haven't asked you about yet, Shamrock favorite, fan favorite, Kyron Williams. Yeah. Where Where is there a place in the league for a guy like this who didn't exactly test off the charts of the combine, but makes every room he goes into better and is a great locker room guy? And Pete and I talk about this ad nauseum, maybe the most valuable football player Brian Kelly's had at Notre Dame since Manti Teo. Where is there room in the NFL for this guy? There's definitely somewhere, that's for sure. And for all the reasons that you just mentioned, I mean, that's 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 what coaches want. They want guys like this on their roster. And, you know, for a team that already has their featured back, uh, but maybe they're looking for that change of, play, change of pace guy uh, who you trust on third downs. Um, that that's what Kyron Williams offers you. Uh, he he's very dependable on uh on third down those passing downs where uh he's gonna you know give you those quick uh, soft hands as a receiver. He can put the ball away and you know make something happen after the catch. 
uh, blitz pickup. Uh, you know, he he knows where his eyes should be. He understands the timing, uh, and he can do enough. He's not the biggest guy, but he can do enough to at least slow down that blitz, that pass rush. So I, I think coaches are going to trust him. And that's once we get to the NFL, talent doesn't always win out. Trust does when it comes to coaches. And that's something that, uh, you know, talent matters, no, no, no doubt about it. But teams have to be able to trust you to put you out there on the field. And especially a running back, especially in those passing situations where you uh, need to understand what your responsibility is as a blocker. And you have to be able to execute as a pass catcher. Kyron Williams can do that. Do you wish that he was a, a better athlete in terms of how he tested, in terms of uh, you know what he can give you between the tackles? No doubt, absolutely. There's definitely a place for Kyron Williams in the league. And it might come in the fourth or fifth round, but uh, you know, a, a team's going to jump all over Kyron Williams, and it wouldn't be surprised if he becomes the next uh, you know James White of the NFL. Uh, you know, who's you know been such a productive pro all those years in New England. Um, he, he could be that that uh, impactful as a player in the right offense. I think maybe we can let you get out of here um, on this. Like, you know, Notre Dame's probably going to have three or four draft picks this year, um, which is which is down. It's a long way from um, you know, kind of the Alabama, Georgia's ten, eleven, Ohio State's. Is there? I mean, is there much of a takeaway from that, or do you have you sort of seen over the course of the last four years as Notre Dame has bubbled up its draft, its draft potential, its talent level has bubbled up with it? Yeah, and I don't know that I necessarily have a a take here, or you know, like a, a mm-hmm. specific reason why it would be like that. Um, I, I kind of was surprised the the amount of transfers I feel like Notre Dame's brought in, but I guess that's that's something you see across uh, college football now in today's uh, you know modern college football is, is yeah. the, the active transfer portal, and you're just trying to get better. So I, I, I get that, um, you know, but I, I I did I guess maybe expect a little bit more when, especially at some of the skill positions. Um, you know, you want to see, uh, you know, some of the speed at receiver and, um, you know, playmakers and, and, and and I guess they do. We're talking about two of these guys getting drafted with Kyron Williams and Kevin Austin. And, you know, we're talking about the tight end for next year. Um, but still you, you do want to see some more impactful guys. Uh, you know, we saw a lot of Notre Dame players get drafted last year. And so I think that, you know. That that kind of drained uh, the team a little bit, especially on the offensive line, uh, for example. Some of these guys went back. Like I think, you know, like a guy like Jarrett Patterson, um, you know, going back uh, to Notre Dame. Uh, now, I, I don't think he was going to be a top 100 guy. I think he probably he made the right decision. I, I think he would have been probably a, a mid round pick, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth round. Uh, so I do think he made the right decision by going back. He can get better. Uh, just uh, he's not an overpowering player. Um, you know, I think he was. Uh, you know, he, a little bit overhyped because he's not uh, an above-average athlete, and so I think he need he there's room for him to improve in some areas so he can uh, mask some of his uh, deficiencies a little bit. So um, players going back that contributed uh, as well, but um, you know it's it's going to be interesting moving forward with the, the new coaching staff and uh, you know just to see the guys they get in there and to see Coach Freeman's guys and to, to scout that and so. Um, you know, Notre Dame feels like definitely feels like a program that's been in, you know reinvigorated with with the coaching change, and so I'm excited to see how, what that means for for prospects and for scouting moving forward. Awesome, we'll get you out of here on this. We did this a year ago. You hung up. You went and tweeted that your wife was pregnant with twins. Do you have any other big <laughs> announcements you want to share with our Shamrock listeners right now? Uh, no, I mean I, uh, I I've got. Uh, 
T-ball practice tonight. Um, you know, I've got is there snow snow outside where you are too? Yeah, there is. We uh okay. we got a lot of snow this morning, some big old flakes. Uh, but you know, it's not what you expect. To, what April nineteenth? No. Uh, not 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 ideal. Uh, you know, so I we uh, I get questions all the time. Why'd you move back to Ohio? Why'd you move back to Ohio? And I mean, uh, if it weren't for family, I don't know. But uh, you know, this is. <laughs> But this is home, so you know it's. Even though we had snow all morning, I'm 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 sure we'll still have t-ball practice later, and you know they'll they'll figure out a way to play through it. That's just what you do this part of the country. So well, hopefully the Shamrock Bump will uh, give your kids a victory today. Hey, that sounds great. I love it. <laughs> all right, thanks for joining us, Dane. We right. appreciate it. Anytime, thanks, guys. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. That was Dane Brugler, our official draft analyst at The Athletic who does a, uh, a prolific and high-quality job for us. <laughs> I, I, I would have bet the over if he set that the line of how many words he's written on some of these things. Um, I figured it was it was pushing a million at this point. Probably. I mean, there are draft guides, and then there's this draft guy, as he says, like, if it, you're going to call it the beast, you better live up to it. And, I mean, he's got uh, – keep in mind, like, this guy is not just covering Notre Dame. Like, he spoke intelligently on them, and now he's going to do that for every other team and every other player that he wrote about. But, you know, Jack Cohn's bio, for example, he's talking about where his uncle played football. Like it's just so yep. in depth and it's so appreciated because it's Pete, me and you both seen a lot at Notre Dame, especially there's so many quote unquote draft analysts who make it up as they go along and don't do anything, but because it's such a everything draft related sells and, and produces clicks and then people get so excited about it. It's very easy to fake it in, in that field. And, and Dane just takes it to the nth degree as far as just the work he puts in and the time he puts in and the write-ups he does. And you know, you can buy the beast online right now. I mean, it's a hardcover book right now for sale. And that's because the thing is, is, is that thorough. And I, in my opinion, that much of a must buy and must read if you're a fan of the NFL or college football, because it is just, it, it's like Phil Steele, but legible. Let me put it that way. As far as <laughs> just what you can actually read and gather in there. Yeah, there's no doubt it. Um, it is, it is deep, and uh, I always feel a little bit like I'm not sure how I should feel about it when I learn a factoid about a Notre Dame player <laughs> that I've covered for the last four years. I'm like, shouldn't I have already known this? But uh, 
Dane does an awesome job. Um, and there are a lot of people in this industry, I think, who are kind of in for the, the hot take buzz click stuff. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons Dane is respected and appreciated is he's not. Um, you know, the way he talks through it, I think, is very conscientious and thoughtful. So it's it's really good. Um, in non-draft-related news, I had a story on The Athletic yesterday about Fund, Friends of the University of Notre Dame, which is a new collective um, started by Brady Quinn. Uh, Tom Mendoza is a board member on that. Um, be cool to have him on the podcast to sort of talk through that a little bit and see if we can make that happen. But um, I, you know, I had sort of been working on it for the past week. I was, you know, I hadn't leaked out at all, which I was surprised only considering what the appetite was for something, this kind of story in the Notre Dame fan base. Um, Matt, I don't even think I talked to you about it before it ran out. What, what was your reaction to reading it? Yeah, I mean, I think we texted last week and you said, I got something on NIL coming next week. And I said, what? And you mentioned Brady Coon was doing something. I'm like, oh, that's First, I've heard of it. Interesting. Um, I like it. I like it a lot. And I like it because of the guy who's behind it, Brady Quinn. And I say that because, you know, I was at Oklahoma last week and I was at one of their practices and I was shooting the ball with with one of their recruiters uh, on the sideline. And, and he said something to the effect of, you know, if you're if you're a, a football, a college football player right now and, and you want to make money, you want to actually like earn value for yourself and not see that just go away when you get injured or, or go away when you don't live up to your four or five star rating, you need to sell yourself as a person uh, more than you do as a player. Because if you're not playing, you can still go to the hospital and visit sick kids and do this and do that and be a valued, valuable member of your community. And I just think the approach of what Brady Quinn is doing with this. And if you haven't read Pete's story, please go ahead and read it. It's very good and thorough. Um, I, I think it's really good because of who's running it and how it's tailored to Notre Dame. I mean, Br Brady Quinn is still probably one of the most famous people in football. And 99% of that is because of what he did in college at Notre Dame, which to me speaks yeah, to a great the value of Notre Dame and what makes it unique and why if you're a recruit looking to build your brand and get a good degree and have plenty of professional opportunities on or off the field, there's no better place to go than Notre Dame. And so I think the, the theme around fund is something that is uniquely Notre Dame. And I think that's what you need to do if you're not going to get into just a bidding war, which I don't think Notre Dame plans on doing anytime soon. You need to sell your distinctions. And I think this is the perfect way to do it. Yeah, it definitely enhances that part of it. And I mean, one of the things that my a few interviews with Quinn about is, I mean, I want to know like what this is not too. Um, I want to know if it was it was meant to be, or the spirit of it was to be um, a counter to the Tennessee Collective or whatever is happening at Texas A and M. I couldn't really tell you. Um, and he's like, no, that's not what we're trying to do. Um, you know, so I, I think if you're a Notre Dame fan waiting for Notre Dame to get an NIL space in a purely pay for play. Um, recruiting sense like this is not that story but i don't i don't think that story is going to happen with notre dame um and it may happen down the road but i think it, it that may be another year away um and that was another part of the piece that i had mentioned but i talked to quinn about more extensively is like let's say you are a, a high roller and you're like hey i I really want Dante Moore at Notre Dame. Here's $5 million to make it happen. And his charitable cause is the Boys and Girls Club. 
fund is like sure like we we can work with you to try to make that happen they're they're not going to stand in the way of something like that but that's not i think the original intent of the uh the operation yeah i mean pre nil i think a good example of something like this as far as thematic elements you know, not not to give our old friend too much credit but like look at a guy like joe schmidt who really maximized his time at notre dame as far as everything notre dame was able to to offer him away from the football field. Obviously, he walked on here in a scholarship. He became a captain, but he got hurt his last year. He didn't have the best year of his career. Showtime comes in, films a, you know, basically behind the scenes, you know, reality show on Notre Dame, and he was front and center with all of it. And Joe Schmidt did not go to pro day. He did not apply for the NFL draft. He hung up his <laughs> I think cleats. he may he may have like watched on the sidelines at least. It, well, he may, he may have, but he <laughs> no, well, at signing day he was hosting the school's like signing day oh, show. Oh, that's right. I forgot about um, that. Yeah. And he had a lot like he got his education paid for uh for a second degree that spring while all of his teammates were going to the combine and preparing for the draft. And he was getting a lot of professional opportunities to go and speak to Notre Dame clubs and and, and Fortune 500 companies, I believe that had you know, Notre Dame board members that fell in love with this guy because of the personality they saw on Showtime every week. None of that had to do with what he did on the football field. All that had to do with the Notre Dame brand and taking advantage of that brand and maximizing your potential there. And I, I think this is similar in that because, again, if anyone can – if you're going to get in a bidding war, like at the end of the day, like someone can always outbid the other, right? Like there, there's nothing unique yeah. about paying more money than someone else's. I think if you're Notre Dame and you want to keep your distinctions distinct, you need to tailor the collective to, to your university, to your people and show them the value of this degree, the value of this brand and go from there. So I, I like the direction it's going so far. And again, to have a guy with the name recognition of Brady Quinn front and center with it. And as you wrote, and as we've all seen, a guy who's not necessarily new to this space either. Yeah. Which I thought, yeah, that, that to me was an important part of it. I know it's not like the sexiest part is like, what are your administrative skills? But um, it's significant because I think you're sort of seeing these collectives pop up. That's a lot of former players at a lot of different places who don't have the experience. Brady Quinn is, uh, has a decade of experience doing something comparable to this or similar at least. Um, I think that would give Notre Dame... Um, a good feeling about where this can go and how professional it will be done. I think that this is of all the, there's not like there's been a ton, but I think of the collectives in the Notre Dame space, we've had McKay Stefan to talk about the Irish players club. This is Quinn's outfit is I think much easier for Notre Dame to sort of get, unofficially get its arms around. Um, I think everyone understands charity work a little bit. It's easier to process than an NFT. Um, I'm not saying one's, I'm not trying to place a value judgment on either, but um if you're a high roller at Notre Dame or around Notre Dame, I, I think this is probably an easier one to sort of process and understand. Oh, okay. I like, I like what this is. And it's sort of in the spirit of what Notre Dame actually is about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that might be a good segue to our old friend who's been in the headlines <laughs> a lot recently. <laughs> uh, Brian Kelly, I wrote about that last week. It was probably the most, I wouldn't say easiest, but like most benign or, or binary column I think I've ever written as far as like, I'm not, a, I don't consider myself a hot take artist by any stretch of the imagination, but like very, very simple if you are going to operate the way that Brian Kelly has publicly. And that is you win a national championship at, at LSU, 
or you don't. And it's very easy pass or fail as far as, you know, was this a success or not? I mean, you don't, when you read his comments and you take them at face value and you take away the history, logically, man to man, it makes sense why someone might feel they have a uh, an easier or sure path to win a national title at LSU than they do Notre Dame. Brian Kelly saying it, it basically undoes everything he's said and done the last 12 years, and he's basically poisoned his entire career's work and legacy <laughs> by doing that. A- am I wrong? I mean, you wrote it now. It's like, like he finally got welcome back at Cincinnati. I don't know if I see that happening at Notre Dame. 10 years is a long time, right? Um, however, it did feel like a guy who canceled himself. Yes. Um, and that... I think there were ways, there were high roads, there were multiple high roads to take for him. Um, and I don't, I think he just blew past all of those ramps. Um, which again, you and I have talked about this. One of the things we really liked about Brian Kelly covering him was that when you got him in one-on-one situations, which Ralph Russo and Dennis Dodd and Ross Dellinger got him, the dude lets it rip. Um, you're getting a... F- authentically political Brian Kelly, if that can be a thing. <laughs> but I mean, you just get, you get a version of him that you feel like is closer to the authentic self. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I, I am not going to criticize somebody for being authentic as a journalist. Cause that's what we're all shooting for. However, um, some moderation there probably would have been helpful. Um, I think the, the week of coach O uh, being up here, <laughs> And stinky one seven three five two four six seven. I mean, it 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 felt like a very college football. What are we covering? Kind of week around Notre Dame. I I I enjoyed it, um, but I think some of it was definitely unnecessary. I, I enjoyed it. I, I half expected Pat McAfee to like reveal who Stinky was at, at the end of it, or reveal that the numbers of stinky match the phone number of, of whoever's burner account that may have been. And we, we have a good idea who that is, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, as you said, as a journalist, candor is appreciated. Um, but again, like Brian Kelly is much of his career has been like the guy who knew like how many times has Chuck Martin said, right. He's the best off field coach of the country. Like he knows how to handle things. He knows what mm-hmm. to say, how to diffuse situations. He was quoted in Ross's story, was, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. And I just think right now, in some ways, he can't help himself. Like, it, I'm just trying to put myself in Brian Kelly's shoes. If everything you said and believe, if everything you believe and said is true, and I'm not saying even it was, it's not true. I just think, you know, his his comments when he was at Notre Dame versus his comments not at Notre Dame, like, there's just no consistency between them. Wait three years, right? Like, maybe you win a national title at LSU and you can say, hey, you know what? Jack Swarbrick. I asked this, this, and this for, and he didn't give it to me. And Scott Woodward did. Now you see why. Like, and who knows what yes. kind of state Notre Dame's in at that point, right? Like, I just, I don't see the benefit in coming out as fiery and, and, and direct as he did right now. Um, you know, and he even defended his family accent, which, um, you know, is the one part I will not I mean, get Come on. <laughs> come on. Um, well, I mean, and to me, it was like the, I can hop in my Prius, which got a, or not Prius is a Tesla, Tesla yeah. which, which got a lot of ink um, in these various stories and drive around and see a bunch of recruits. And I have to put less time into recruiting. I'm like, 
I don't. Yeah, no. I don't think that's going to be taken the way you think it's think it's going to be taken there, Brian. Um, that was that was never the part of the Notre Dame experience for him that I felt like, man, he's just he's struggling to fry around in these private jets mm-hmm. and play these elite golf clubs while he's doing it. Um, I don't know. That, the whole thing was it. There was always going to be some ill will uh, between Notre Dame and Brian Kelly, and probably vice versa, but. Uh, his sort of PR statements here, I think, exacerbated something that probably did not need to be exacerbated, and that that doesn't even get to like the merit of some of his critiques, right? Like, He's, it, it might Notre be the Dame right message. Need- He's just the worst possible messenger to deliver them, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I think Marcus would probably tell you some of these things, like, yeah, w- the brick and mortar part of Notre Dame nutrition needs work. Um, you know, more recovery spaces, more academic spaces, because like. These, this is what Brian Kelly wanted. Marcus Freeman was on staff for a year of it. Um, I also, you know, talking to people in the development office, this stuff has all has been approved. It's happening. It's going to happen. Um, I just, it just clearly is not happening at the rate Brian Kelly thought it should happen. I also felt like I want saying I wanted this in 2016. Like you were lucky to have a job in 20 after 2016. So like making demands at that well, point didn't I, really add up. No, but I, I think. From someone I spoke to, my understanding is he signed. Remember, his post twenty fifteen, yeah. he signed the January sixty extension. Deal. From my understanding, which included the yes. indoor, I believe that was written into the contract. And I believe my were, understanding. I believe there were other enhancements that have yet to be made. At least was okay. conveyed to me that way. So that's what he was referring to with twenty sixteen. Again, you, you take away the name, the history, everything. Six year old man asked for something for five years, doesn't get it. Says, "All right, I only got one more run left in me. I don't want to spend the rest of my life, my professional life." banging my head against the wall, knowing I'm not going to get what I want. I can understand it in that context. But again, at what cost? Like you're the winningest coach in the history of the most historic program in college football. And you're, you're persona non grata for the foreseeable future there. Like that has to weigh into your, your analysis when, when you're looking at LSU versus Notre Dame, if you're Brian Kelly. And I, I, I'm still for his, as sharp as he was with so many other matters, especially especially publicly throughout his time in Notre Dame, I, I'm still surprised he dropped the ball that badly in, in terms of determining what his legacy would be and thinking he could come back and uh, address the team the next morning and they would be okay with it and and all that. I just I thought it was poorly handled all around. It's not been handled much better. But again, it, it you know I, you know Brady Quinn for example, he spoke to Ross Dellinger in that Sports Illustrated story and. Um, he was polished up. Like we've heard how Brady Quinn feels about how that went down. It was <laughs> not, it was a lot rawer than the quotes he gave to sports illustrated. He was able to collect himself Moderate. and put a pretty face on it. I'm not sure why the head coach couldn't do it, but again, that's his choice. But I will say again, talking to some people down there, it's a good transition from our NIL discussion. All the off field stuff that we've praised Brian Kelly for, uh, from my understanding, is really showing itself right now in the NIL space uh, because he can speak like a businessman. They are giving him at LSU pretty much everything he wants. A lot of things that Notre Dame, as we just discussed, probably won't be getting in the business of anytime soon when it comes to NIL. I think that's where the true genius of Brian Kelly will really shine and give him, at least in his mind, a legitimate chance to win a national title there. Not that, again, I... Look, you're going to look at the brick and mortar. LSU is going to win that battle against Notre Dame in 2022. I don't think anyone's debating that. Uh, but to Brady Quinn's point in your story, 
I do think Notre Dame has enough to win a national title right now. And um, it's nice to have a coach there who's not making excuses for it every single time. No doubt. Um, well, that's Notre Dame spring bang is up this weekend. I don't think you're making the journey out. Me for and the nice whole family. 80 degree day. Uh, I'll be there. South end. Okay. All right. It's that or Peacock, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> You could probably drive home and still catch the peacock. The delay, the, uh, <laughs> delay will just be caught up to live action. Um, yeah, it's it should be, a, I think, interesting would be overstating the spring game. I think it, it's sort of the coaching staff views it as a little bit more of a light scrimmage than it is, um, you know, kind of a moving day situation. Notre Dame had a jersey scrimmage a week ago, um, roughly, and that was sort of like the, all right, Let's put 104 plays on tape, evaluate it, see what we got. Um, so that I think that the heavy evaluation has already happened for spring practice with Notre Dame. But in the stadium, Tyler Buckner, you get a quarter of that, maybe maybe a half. Um, and look, it's it's the weather is finally going to be good. If you, you need to be well, able to get out of your house in late April. Draft day tomorrow, Jerome Bettis, yes, commissioner. For the two teams. Um, yeah, it will be interesting. They draft by position. Um, I don't know who would who will be your number. Your no, if you had the number one overall pick, who would you choose in the spring game? Tyler Buckner because he can't get hit. Okay, <laughs> same exactly. I think that's a no brainer. Um, there are. It does seem like, and you might be able to speak this better than the the alums and the recent graduates I've spoken to. It sounds like there's going to be a much bigger alum turnout and letter winner turnout this weekend than there's been in recent years as there usually is anytime there's a regime change anywhere. But I, I do think as far as a, a celebra- celebratory weekend, there'll be more pomp and circumstance than there've been in previous spring games in Notre Dame. Yeah. I do, I do think there's a little bit of a feel good factor with Marcus. Um, you know, and you're right. The, the alumni turnout, Brady Quinn's actually here this week, mm-hmm. but won't, he has to leave before the spring game kicks off. Um, but it, you know, the, the funds, organizing things around Notre Dame events. I think that will happen sometime soon. Uh, maybe that will happen this summer, but um, despite the Fiesta Bowl, I, you know, Marcus Freeman said like the honeymoon's over a little bit and there's some truth to that, but I also feel like the sort of era of good feelings around Notre Dame football um, in some ways, maybe spurred on by Brian Kelly's comments, like gets a little bit of a wagon circling effect happening. Um that uh, I think that may make for kind of a, a some good vibes this weekend around Notre Dame football on Saturday. Definitely, definitely. Look forward to being there. Look forward to, to recording with you afterward. And we, uh, yeah, and we should definitely get a live podcast yes. uh, sometime on the on the calendar moving up because that uh, we appreciate our listeners engaging right before the Fiesta Bowl. I thought that went well. So post spring, we will get one of those on the content calendar as well, um, so we can interact a little bit more with our dear listeners. Um, but until then, Matt, I think our perhaps our next podcast will be in person then, uh, post spring game. If it's eighty degrees, come over. Our pool will be open. Uh, you have a pool? at the Samson at the the Casa de. I've Samson. been there and I didn't know uh, you had a pool, but usually it's well, in South Bend. It's it, not pool weather. <laughs> we did not. Yeah, we didn't have a pool the last time you were oh, okay. here. Um, so yeah, brand new. It's opening this afternoon. Just as soon as all the snow melts <laughs> off, uh, should be warmed up by Saturday. So. We have a, a poolside shamrock on Saturday post spring game. Should be a good and, time. And so, all of our kids will be together. Maybe they can finally take our jobs from us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, start the Clover, which is the <laughs> knockoff shamrock podcast that my son and daughter want to start. I, I, I'm really afraid so, you keep saying the Clover. Someone like with Brady Quinn's chops is going to steal that as their next um, 
<laughs> nil fun yeah exactly so until then he's matt i'm pete thanks for being with with us on the latest episode of the shamrock uh we will talk to you this weekend after the notre dame spring game